Welcome to the Tiara's Tears and Triumphs show, a safe place for women to heal and grow, where we discover our value, share our tears as we go through the hard times and rise up as we become empowered to meet our challenges head on. I just wanted to make mention that at the end of each interview, I do a recount of the top 10 tips that I've extracted out of the interview to give you some golden nuggets to take away and think about and see if you can apply those things into your life if they're relevant. So I just wanted to make mention of this so that you don't miss this. It's a really, really useful part of the interview and it is always at the tail end of the interview. So if you don't get a chance to listen to the whole interview, fast forward towards the end and listen out for me listing the top 10 takeaways. This episode refers to a person who has passed away and may be distressing for some listeners. If you feel triggered by anything that you hear in this episode, please seek support from a trained counsellor. You can come back to this episode anytime you are feeling strong and able to tune into it. There are many amazing tips and there is a lot of information in this episode about red flags to look out for if you are in an abusive relationship. So this interview could be a lifesaver. On today's show, I have Richard Sleston, brother of Katiana Lisa B, who tragically lost her life to her abuser late last year. Katiana is survived by her two beautiful daughters. Now, Richard does not want his sister's tragedy to be in vain and would like to speak up about his sister's journey through abuse in the hope that it will help others to break free from the cycle before there is irreparable harm done. In today's conversation, we are going to focus on her story and the warning signs that were apparent and the extent of the abuse that she endured, all with the hope that it will help others who might be in a similar position. A very heartfelt welcome to the Tiara's Tears and Triumphs podcast, Richard, and thank you for using your voice to try and help other victims of abuse. Firstly, my heartfelt condolences to you and your family for your loss. I'm going to be very much led by you um, in this conversation with what you feel okay about sharing as I don't want to say or do anything that is going to cause you any unnecessary anguish. If we could just start out by asking, can you tell us about your sister, Sure. Um, so first and foremost, uh, I mean, although it's an unfortunate um, circumstance that that connected us and brought us here, uh, I am thankful for the opportunity to at least be able to, you know, share her story in the hopes that it can potentially empower, um, educate, and and hopefully save someone's life. So I, I am thankful for that time. So what can I say about my sister? So you know. My sister, I'm I'm the middle child. My sis, my younger sister, was six years older than her, and um, you know I've always, ever since we were little kids, like I was always kind of like her protector. Um, you know, one of my favorite pictures of us, which I I have on the side of my bed, is when she was an infant and she was in the crib, and I was standing over her. And my mother used to always tell me that I used to do that all the time, like just kind of stand over there and you know and protect her. Um, and even though like we were obviously six years apart, you know, there was a lot that her and I had in common and we would often joke that we were kind of like twins, right? Um, we, you know, often had similar, uh, you know, sense of humor. We laughed about the same things. We joked about the same things. We drove our parents absolutely mad um, in, in the way that we behaved. Um, a lot of the things that she liked, her favorite car was my favorite car, her favorite color was my favorite color. There were just so many things that we shared in common. She grew into being somebody who was such a, a confident and strong-willed individual. 
Um, you know, a lot of my friends knew how much I cared about her because I would always bring her around. Um, you know, they, they saw how much I cared about her. They saw how we were like identical. They loved being around us. Um, and she was just like a strong minded, strong willed, uh, intelligent, um, person who was incredibly easy to like and get along with. And, uh, you know, she was just, she was just a great person. She was a ray of sunshine, an amazing smile, a great personality. She was a fantastic mother. Um, you know, cared for her daughters to no end, uh, was always around them, always took care of them. I mean, she was just a great, a great, great person. Yeah, I'm so, so very sorry to, um, to know about your loss. And I can't even imagine, you know, how this has impacted on you and the rest of your family and on her daughters. But, you know, this is a very good conversation to be having with somebody who is related to somebody who has been abused and to have that um, that viewpoint from the perspective of somebody who is removed from that situation. Um, do could you just share with us a bit about your, like your knowledge or your understanding of, you know, what was going on for your sister? Um, were there any indicators to let you know that her, you know, that she was in, in danger um, or that this relationship was putting her in jeopardy? So, um, you know, in the, in the beginning, you know, when she started dating him, um, I was the, you know, I would say the average older brother where I was, you know, again, protective of her and would, didn't matter who she, she could have been dating anybody. And, and, and I would have still been, you know, that's my sister, you need, you know, like be careful. And, um, you know, I, I would hear little things about how, you know, they would get into arguments or, how you know he broke like some of her electronics you know one time during an argument and she kind of just kind of dismissed it because he promised to get her new stuff um or there was an incident where he was gonna like jump out the second story of his mother's house if she like says well if you leave me then i'm just gonna like jump out the window or whatever um and i think that because she was young and because he was essentially her first everything i think that she misinterpreted a lot of that as his demonstration of like, you know, unconditional undying love for her as opposed to seeing it as warning signs. Um, and, you know, in those beginning, in the beginning when I used to hear about some of this stuff, I think that the only reason why I didn't play more of an active role was because I had so much faith in my sister and I knew that like, anybody who ever said anything the wrong way to her, she had no issues just kind of putting them in their place. And so I was like, I feel bad for this guy if he tries to like cross her um, because she's gonna be a bigger problem to him than me. And even when she was young, you know, she moved out of my parents' house, you know, when she was a teenager and, and you know, my parents weren't happy with it. And I wasn't a huge fan of it, but I, you know, I would explain to my parents that, you know, this is a decision that she has to make and she has to go forth and do it. And we're always going to be here. And, and, and that's that. And, um, and so I think that a lot of the, the, the nuances involving the abuse at that point was kind of shielded, especially in the beginning, because I think that she was somewhat like embarrassed to share, like they would be fighting or this and that, because you know, in the beginning of the relationships, kind of like the honeymoon period, right? Like everything is supposed to be like, you know, sunshine and, and you know, rainbows and everything. Like it's not supposed to be that you're fighting or concerned or, or anything like that. Um, and so I think that to me, the, the, the incident that really kind of like was the crack that led to a lot of the, 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 the other issues involving myself and them was after I heard that um, he hit her. Um, and I don't know whether that was the first time that he hit her or not, but um, when I knew that that was the case, uh, I, to me, like there was no, there was nothing that could be said at that point. There was no justification, really didn't, there was nothing that she could have said. 
Um, so at that point, I was going to take matters into my own hands and ultimately was decided against that because, you know, I didn't want to place myself considering I was just in the process of becoming an attorney at the time. I didn't want to place myself in that situation and risk my own jeopardy and all my hard work and sacrifices. And so, you know, her and I had several conversations and, um, you know, things were, you know, I've made it very clear to her that she needed to be more mindful and more careful and, and that she needed to really leave him because there was, you know, there's, there would never be any excuse or justification for, for anyone to put their hands on their partner. Um, and then uh, there was an effort by my older brother to, to I guess, kind of like bring uh, this person and myself together to kind of like, I guess, figure out a way to move forward. And um, that didn't work out very well because I made it clear to him that I was not happy with what was going on and that that was not something that I was going to tolerate. And unfortunately, because of when, you know, when we start to understand the mentality of abusers and the narcissistic mentality and everything, he of course took that as an immediate attack on his pride and his manhood and, you know, whatever. Um, and so that is when he started to put the divide between myself and my sister, myself and my nieces, uh, my sister and my parents. Like this is when the, the, the isolation abuse really started to kind of get planted at that particular point. And then it ultimately just only got worse um, in time when, and the breaking point really was when I got married in 2013 and I wanted my niece to be my flower girl. And he basically forbade her from allowing my niece to participate in my wedding. Um, and at that point, you know, even understanding that my sister was not in the best relationship and he was controlling her and everything, I, you know, I couldn't help but be frustrated at her because, you know, she, I, I expected her to fight more for, for our relationship and whether or not him and I got along, I was still her brother. And, you know, and, and again, it was, I look back and I, with a lot of, you know, frustration in terms of how I reacted and a lot of the stuff that I said and the arguments we used to get into because I didn't, I didn't understand what was going on, right? Like I knew what was going on, but I didn't understand it. And so the advice that I would be giving to her, it, it, it was, it didn't make sense, right? Like it wasn't, you know, it's, I don't know, it's kind of like, it's like me advising a woman in terms of like how to give birth to a child. Like I can understand that it's a challenging process, but how can I possibly truly understand what it's like to do that considering I can't do that, right? Um, and I didn't understand that until unfortunately um, after. My mind is just like exploding with uh, everything that you're telling me. There's so much, um, there's so much confusion that victims of abuse feel. Um, there's so much conflict and inner turmoil going on. And um, yeah, I can just, you know, see as you're, you know, uh, as you're articulating everything, what it must have been like for your sister in that situation. And um, for you, uh, coming from that um, standpoint of seeing your sister as being a very strong-minded individual, to not seeing her understanding that she had been disempowered in that relationship through no fault of her own, but her power had been stolen from her and um, that she was uh, unable to affect, you know, those boundaries around herself and her children that she needed to have normality and control over doing healthy things like having, you know, your niece involved in your wedding um, and those sabotaging behaviours that come in, you know, with abusive partners um, where they will just do everything to um, thwart any happiness, any joy, any normality, you know, that a victim has in their lives. And it's all about destabilizing and just 
pulling the rug out from under their feet, you know, time and time again. So they they don't have sure footing. They just, you know, they can't put one foot in front of the other because every time they do, they're probably going to fall over and hurt themselves because they don't know what the other person is doing to, you know, interfere, to sabotage, to hurt, to, you know, there's just so much that goes on. And all of this stuff, as you said, goes on behind closed doors. And what other people see, they don't see what is really happening and what's really going on. And there would have been a, a real shift, I imagine, at that time where you found out about what happened to your sister when he hit her and you drew a line in the sand. And, you know, I just can't even imagine how it felt for you at that time, you know, thinking I've done the right thing and I've done what I can to protect my sister. And yet it's actually not brought me any closer to helping my sister. It's just cre created a bigger divide. And one thing I wanted to ask you about is, you know, there's, did your sister at any time um, engage the courts to seek a um, protection order, an intervention order, a restraining order for herself? No, at no point did she do that. There was only um, one incident, and this was after several years of abuse, and, and um, it actually happened in July of 2020 and she was killed in November. So in July of 2020, there was an incident in the house uh, where I think he was you know, physical with her again and she contacted the police and he fled. Um, and you know, he was an avid gun collector, was fascinated with guns and everything. And when the police came to the house, uh, this, was, this was a prime opportunity for her to kind of like, escape essentially right um and unfortunately she downplayed the incident with the police uh she didn't really kind of push the agenda with regards to the guns or anything didn't seek any type of you know temporary or full orders of, of protection didn't request for him to be arrested none of that and uh and so ultimately you know he was like on his you know he left he was living in his car for a bit seeing at different people's houses but then ultimately um, because of the fact they had the daughters together, she allowed him back into the house. And so, and then again, it was, it was until a short time later that, um, you know, she was, she was murdered. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So it doesn't really surprise me. Um, some of those things that you've said about your sister, not um, engaging uh, help from the authorities and, there will be a myriad of reasons as to why she didn't access that support. And one of those reasons being that the fear of the ramification of her doing that. And that's a very, very real consideration for women who are vulnerable or women and children who are vulnerable or people who are vulnerable in those situations. Um, and it's a catch 22. And mm -hmm. it's a really difficult place to be. And this is the place where um, the person needs to understand that they're not just going to need to get that support from the authorities, but they're going to need to get other specialist support to help them to navigate those challenges. And it may be, um, and I'm speaking from my own experience now, is that I uh, was in a place where I was, uh, you know, I am a very strong person and I stood my ground and things got to a point where they became life-threatening for myself and my children. And at that point, I had a realisation that it didn't matter how much I had a right to stay in my home. It didn't matter how much I had a right to stay in my community. It didn't matter how much I had a right to stay in my job. It didn't matter how much I had a right to keep my children in their school. I needed to keep us safe 
and I needed to do whatever I needed to do to keep us safe. And one of the things that I reinforce time and time again is that the most important thing is their safety. So I will say it, another, the most important thing is your safety. Everything else is secondary to that. And so those things, because if you, if you have no safety, you lose everything else. So you need to... I'm sorry. No, I beg like, your I pardon. Was... You, please go ahead, Richard. I was going to say that it's, it's interesting that you say that because, you know, when this incident happened in July, he basically told her um, that he would kill her and the kids before he ever lets them go. Um, and then ultimately when she allowed him into the house, this is when, and, and again, my sister and I had an estranged relationship for a long time, but it was around this time when she finally reached the breaking point, she finally reached out to me and we reconnected at that point um, because she knew how much of a fierce advocate I was in protecting of her and wanting her to leave. And I think she was welcoming that voice, right? And, um, and, but I know that part of the conversation that I kept having with her and I offered her, you know, to come in to stay with me. My brother offered to stay with him. We offered collectively to help her pay for an apartment. Um, you know, we were pushing for her to develop an escape plan and to leave. But because, you know, they just purchased this new house that they moved into. And this incident happened a couple of weeks or like a month or so after, but, um, when I kept telling her, you know, even if you kick him out, you can't stay in that house because he will always know where you are, right? And um, unfortunately, my sister was operating from the, from the standpoint you just mentioned where she felt like, I don't, why should I have to leave my house? Why should I have to sacrifice this? Like I've always wanted a house. I finally have a house. The kids have a house. I'm not gonna leave, you need to leave. And, and when he was there, He's not, I'm not leaving, you leave, and you're not leaving, and I'm not going to leave. And unfortunately, the arguments got worse. Um, he was severely abusing alcohol, and, and then, you know, the guns obviously coming into play and everything, and then ultimately, that's the incident happened. So, it's, so I, I just want to echo, again, for anyone that's listening, that, you know, and I say this even when, you know, when people say, well, I got into a car accident, or I lost my phone, or you know, or I got mugged and, you know, they took my wallet or whatever. Everything can be replaced. You can't replace people, right? Like you can, I can replace my phone in a heartbeat. I can get a new driver's license. You know, it may take time. I can get a new house. I can get a new car or whatever it is, but I can never replace me. You can never be replaced. My kids can never be replaced, right? So um, I think that's, that is, I think that's really key and important to kind of focus on. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And um, we want to hold on to our position. But yeah, we really need to just be prepared to just walk if that's what we need to do. And I had no idea that I would have to, I'd lost my house, I, you know, lost my car, you know, I tried sticking with my community and standing my ground and in the end you know I had to be prepared to flee and leave everything behind and start a new life have a new identity give my children a new identity and all of that I did because the most important thing was keeping us safe so that we could have a life and create a life again and, you know, without doing that, we might not be here now. So, um, yeah, I'm really, really, I'm sorry because, you know, I'm much more together normally in an interview situation, Richard, but this really um, just rings true to um, just that warning that, women will often hear and not heed that, you, you know, if those warning signs are there and if you, you know that things escalate and 
then just get some support and don't try and get through everything on your own. You reach out to whoever um, you, and I think this is maybe another thing too, is not understanding who you can trust in these situations. And not, and with family, the thing that gets tricky with family is it's quite compromising for family. So there's this thing where you want to protect and shield your family from the pressures and the problems that you're dealing with. And yeah, that may very well have played a part with your sister in, you know, in delaying her from tapping into support from, from you. And I know there are always options and people will present you with options, but you'll, you'll think, I think I can find a way to manage this situation. You, you, want it, you tell yourself in your head, I think I can manage this. I think I can. I'm a strong person. I figured it out to this point. I think I can manage it. But the truth is that the situation is and has been unmanageable for a long time for you. And um, yeah, but the, the main thing, the good thing is that there is help out there. There are supports out there. Um, no matter how radical the changes that you need to make to stay safe, it'll be worth it because you'll be here and you'll have a life that you can recreate for yourself on the other side of abuse. I just want to ask you a few other questions. One is what path do you think would have kept Katiana safe? I mean, that's a good question. Um, and the truth of the matter is, is I think that if you would have asked me before I had a, a, a better understanding of, of abusers, I probably would have told you that she just needed to leave or she needed to have him arrested. Um, but I think unfortunately, you know, we've all seen in the media too many instances where, you know, people leave and then they track them down or they get arrested and the second they come out, they go straight to the house. I mean, as an attorney, I've dealt a lot with orders of protection, temporary orders of protection. I've helped people get them and I've represented people who've been the recipients of them. And as a power and as empowering a, as a as a document that that is, and as much as there is the essence of legal, you know, force behind it, it's ultimately just a piece of paper. And it's not going to stop somebody who's committed towards acting violent. And um, I, I think that ultimately, I wish that she would have left sooner. Um, I don't know if that would have necessarily played a role. I think that if I wish she would have involved more people, so she had a, a, a much wider net of support. Um, to kind of like assist in that particular process. Um, I don't know, it's, it's kind of hard because it's, you know, one of the things that frustrates me is that, you know, that incident that happened in July, I had no clue about. And um, when I found out about it afterwards, I was incredibly angry that I didn't know. Um, but unfortunately, every scenario thus far that I've played out in my head in terms of how I how I would have responded or how she could have potentially responded, like nothing would have ended well. Um, and so, so kind of like thinking of like what could have been done differently, the, I'm, to be honest with you, I'm, I'm, I'm honestly not sure. It's, I think that it, it just built up so much. The only thing that I could have seen is if at, at the beginning, when the initial signs were there, when the initial signs of abuse were showing, um, when he started being abusive towards, you know, his daughter uh, verbally, that it sh she should have left much sooner, as opposed to getting so entangled um, by having a second child, by having, you know, getting a house and all this other stuff. Like, it just made every, it made every decision buried under 10 other more complicated decisions that needed to be made and, and I think that it's just it just it just made it almost impossible to find a a solution that could have resulted in something a happy ending essentially right that's a really really good way to illustrate it one thing that I wanted to just touch on too is you 
spoke about um, alcohol and one of the things is that the statistics for abuse are much worse when there is drugs and alcohol involved so any sort of substances um, so I really would appreciate like a little bit of a conversation with you about that because you would have some experience with that with the role that you play as an attorney as well and how that factors into to the warning signs as to when women tell themselves that they need to stay and just explore every last opportunity to have a resolution in their relationship, to have healing in their relationship. And so they love this person and they'll hang in there until the nth degree because they want their relationship healed. And, you know, this is what the they see is what they want and that's their hope that they will be able to somehow achieve that but you know statistics show that when drugs and alcohol are involved in a narcissistic situation that it is very very hard to go down that path of resolution that the the um, the dangers are much, much higher to, um, to the victims when drugs and alcohol are involved in the situation. What are your thoughts on that, Richard? No, I agree. And, I, and, and to be honest with you, it's so when, when, when this incident happened, um, and I think that I was, I was interviewed by one of the news stations, uh, you know, I was very careful um, and very adamant for this, you know, the incident with my sister not to be categorized as a COVID related domestic violence issue, right? Because since COVID basically happened, and obviously, you know, all the stressors that are related to it, I think a lot of people have turned to, you know, unfortunately, drugs and alcohol to kind of ease the pain or forget, you know, the issues that are going on. And I, and, and I know, particularly in the United States, that the domestic violence rate has significantly increased during that period. Um, and the reason why I wanted to separate it is not be, to make it seem like it was any more or less important, but it was because of the, the history of abuse that existed and how it wasn't just, um, you know, he got drunk one night and then something crazy happened. But I think ultimately, um, you know, alcohol seems to have played a very significant role in terms of how things over the course of probably the year and a half before my sister was murdered, got significantly out of control and, and worse. And prior to that, uh, from my understanding is that he um, was a marijuana smoker, which obviously plays a different role because it's more of, I guess, like a calming type of, you know, um, drug, not to, not to condone or anything, but it's, it, you know, it has that effect. And then he was hospitalized for something and was essentially told by doctors he couldn't smoke. And so ultimately the smoking was replaced with the drinking and he would get blackout drunk like five to six days during the week. And it was in those moments that he was, the fighting was worse, the abuse was worse, the verbal abuse towards the children was worse. Um, everything just kind of spiraled out of control. And, and apparently even the weekend leading into she was murdered on a Monday, but the weekend leading into it, he was on some, you know, a drunken tirade and he was carrying around a gun the entire time, uh, you know, during that weekend. So, um, you know, the, it, it certainly played, a, you know, he was a, he was an angry drunk, I guess you can say. Um, and I think that it's, it's easy. Maybe I shouldn't say it's easy, but it's, it's understandable if somebody drinks and then they act abnormally or out of character and to dismiss the behavior and just blame it on the alcohol. Um, but that's not an excuse, right? Because I honestly am a firm believer that alcohol enhances what, who we are inside, right? Like, so, you know, me personally, when I drink, I'm, a, I'm generally a very happy person. So when I drink, I'm hugging everybody and I'm joking and I'm laughing because that it emphasizes my true nature, which is just, I'm just a caring, you know, fun loving person. And I think that it was, it was, it was that alcohol was kind of the superpower that made him even angrier 
and more controlling and more abusive. And it just continued to magnify over the course of a year and a half until you know it hit ahead. Thank you very much for um, sharing that because I, I really wanted to emphasize that with drugs and alcohol, when it is part and parcel of the uh, narcissistic situation, that it is a real indicator that um, it don't look so much for resolutions, but look for ways to make a break away and, you know, start fresh without that person in your life because those issues um, are not going to help to move forward in a relationship together in a healthy relationship. So um, it's just one of those those red flags. It's a huge red flag to anybody who's listening that if that's part of your um your situation it is a big red flag um all right so and i guess that you know that's another just talking about red flags is there any advice you'd like to give listeners who might have those alarm bells going off in the back of their head about their own situation on you know what to do um so i think I, I definitely would advise people not to justify or dismiss warning signs or gut feelings that something is wrong or something is is doesn't feel right. Um, you know, I think that, and as I was mentioning earlier with you, um, there there's so many warning signs that are there. Um, there's so many different forms of abuse that it's not it doesn't have to fit into a specific box to know that you're being abused. Um, my sister, unfortunately, was the victim of multiple levels of abuse, right? She was isolated from her family um, and friends. She wasn't allowed to have um, you know, male friends, any female friends that basically had an opinion or were too strong-willed were seen as a threat and she wasn't allowed to, to be around them. Um, in particular, she was forced to avoid having a relationship with me because he knew that I didn't like him and he believed that I would connect her with another guy and that he would ultimately leave her and so on and so forth. He even isolated her from his own sister because she would hang out with her and make her feel good. And he actually accused her of cheating with his sister, right? So, so just even to that extent. Um, the financial piece, she was financially abused because she wasn't you know, when she was working, he made it miserable for her, right? He would show up to work if he had a, if she had a male coworker that said hi to her or whatever. It's like, who's that? You're sleeping with him. Why are you cheating on me with him? And so on and so forth. Um, and then she wasn't allowed to work because he needed to know where she was. And, um, you know, he, she wasn't allowed to like, you know, go out and work. Like he needed, he, the, the financial piece was part of the control. Like I control the money, so I control you. Um, if her car broke down, he wouldn't fix it, you know, because again, not having the car was just another way of controlling her and knowing where she is. So that, you know, there was that. Um, and then there was the, the emotional abuse, right? Like he would regularly convince her that, you know, if he, if she ever left him, nobody would ever want her and that she was unattractive and, um, and that, you know, no one would ever want somebody who has two kids, a single mom of two kids and, who would want you and you don't deserve better and, and so on and so forth. And this is the best you're going to do or whatever. And so her self-esteem was shot, right? So she didn't have that. I mean, so it's like you, you know, and, and I, it sounds, it sounds horrible to say this, but it's like, he was brilliant at being abusive because he painted her into a corner where before you mentioned about like getting your footing to take a step, she was placed in a situation where she was in a corner and there was literally no escape from the corner because she had no self-esteem. She had no allies. She had no support. She had no money. She had no resources. She couldn't talk to anybody or whatever. And I think that she ultimately was doing everything she could to protect the girls and, and try to keep him around for them as well. And so she dealt with a lot to keep the girls close to their father. Um, and so there, it's, it's, it was just... I mean, I don't know, but there's, I, I think that it's ultimately it's, 
you know, if something doesn't feel right, you need to act on it, right? Um, if, if you are, you know what you want in terms of being loved, and if you're not getting that, then you need to seek that. Um, you know, love is not supposed to hurt, right? Love is supposed to be something like, and I understand, you know, like I've been married to my wife now for, it's going to be eight years. And of course we argue and we fight and everything like that. But can I say that I'm hurt as a result of that? No, it's part of, it's part of being in a relationship, but it's not supposed to be that you're hurt. It's not supposed to be that you are, you know, that, that you feel like less of a person, right. Or that you're sacrificing or that you're missing out on, on so many other things that are making you happy just for the purpose of being in the relationship. Like that's not love. That's not happiness and life is too short to be in that situation, right? And so I think you have to pay attention to your gut, listen to the warning signs, you know, talk to people that are genuinely and unconditionally um, in your corner and in your favor and will advise you in terms of what you should be doing. Um, you know, and, and, and that's when you really try to, you know, you find out who genuinely cares about you is like, who's there for you and listening to you. But like, you, you know, as you mentioned, exercising and taking advantage of all the resources that are presented to you is absolutely important. Yeah. And there are free online counseling services for domestic violence too, um, in different parts of the world. So just do a Google to find a service. If you're unsure about whether you, um, your situation is abusive or not, you can have a confidential conversation with somebody to talk it through with them and get some clarity about whether you've got red flags that you need to pay attention to. They can help you to actually think what the next step might look like for you. And that this is a really fantastic place to start your journey to, towards getting your power back and getting back in control of your life. So I just yeah, really encourage you to make that call if you need to speak to somebody to get some advice on what you're going through. Um, there was something else that you, you touched on when you were talking. It's, it's gone now. It's all right. I'll, um, if I think about it, I'll come back to it. But this has been such a brilliant conversation, Richard. It's just... There's been so many um, really useful, I think it's really great having this conversation coming from your perspective and you've got a lot of knowledge and understanding about abuse and what it looks like. And that's, yeah, actually, that was what I was going to say is talking about the different forms of abuse and that um, traditionally, I suppose there isn't a tradition so much as you will more than likely have more than one form of abuse going on in your relationship if you are in an abusive situation as you um, mentioned some of the things that Katiana was going through and that it wasn't just one form of abuse and it's all about disempowering you taking away your power and your control over your own life. So if you're seeing signs of that happening, whether if things are being withheld from you, then yeah, really look closely at that, pay attention to it. Um, and I just wanted to talk about the difference between a healthy relationship and an unhealthy relationship. And you did mention about conflict and how conflict is just part and parcel of a relationship, not just an unhealthy one, but also conflict happens in healthy relationships. And in the context of a healthy relationship, conflict is there to help you grow and develop and learn something about yourself you know and so this is part of a healthy relationship is when you're growing as a person that an unhealthy form of conflict will strip away who you are as a person will make you unsure about who you are it won't make you feel any stronger in yourself it will make you unsure confused 
um, those things that you were talking about, loss of self-esteem is a, a big one, loss of a sense of security, um, just, yeah, that, that isolation. Isolation is a really massive indicator. If you are feeling as though you are getting backed into that corner that you talked about and that you were, you're losing your grip basically on your relationships and the people that you have in your life. That's another um, really big red flag to pay attention to that um, this is not a good space for you to be. And it's really healthy and right for you to have relationships, friendships and associations with people outside of your relationship. So I just wanted to ask you, I think one last question, and that is, what do you think Katiana valued most in her life? Her daughters. Yeah. Um, I, I mean, it's in, yeah, she, she, she cared for her daughters. Her daughters were everything to her. Um, I feel like she endured a tremendous amount of abuse for the sake of her daughters to keep her, you know, to keep them in the, in that environment, to keep them safe. She endured it to keep them in the house because she felt that they deserved it and they were entitled to be in a house. Um, and even I believe on the, the night that she was murdered, I feel that she, her actions, um, you know, she did what she did in trying to protect her daughters. And so I think that without a doubt, and I know that she cared about me, I know she cared about my parents, um, but I think that the, the, the number one thing for her was her, her, her daughters. Those were, that was everything to her. Yeah, yeah. And I think that will speak to many people who listen to this. Um, I know from my own experience as a mother that uh, I was definitely guided by protecting my children, that my, a lot of my decisions were made because I wanted to keep my kids safe and I, I didn't want them to suffer. So, um, yeah, it, it, can, um, it can really uh, be, um, oh, I don't know what to say about that, Richard, really, because it's um, a mother does what she feels she needs to do and a parent does what they feel they need to do to protect their children. Um, but, yeah, look, I'm just so sorry. I'm so, so sorry for your your loss and for her daughter's loss too. It's just, my heart is just broken for them. And I, I do want to share, you know, because I'm, I imagine that people would probably want to know, but um, they are doing, they're doing well, um, obviously under the circumstances. Uh, my, my brother and his wife were able to get guardianship. And so they're living with, with them. Um, you know, there's, there's the, you know, counseling is consistent, the therapy is consistent. Um, you know, both girls are, are, you know, doing well in school. Um, you know, I think that there's certainly a lot of, um, you know, there's a lot of, you know, everybody is, 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 is kind of to an extent, you know, happy to kind of see that they're continuing, that they're doing well and, and, mush, and moving forward. But there's certainly a lot of concern, and I know particularly with me, I think one of the largest concerns is that, you know, in sitting down and being in that house and, and obviously being two young girls, that I don't want them to ever normalize what they saw or to have a definition of love that it more reflects what they witnessed that was wrong than what it actually should be, right? Because you know, I imagine that they, you know, cared significantly about, you know, their mom. And, and so when you see your mom in a situation where she's enduring something and you would say, well, if my mom endured it, then it must have been normal, right? It must be okay. Like there's, there's nothing wrong with that. And so, um, you know, I am cautious 
you know, as they get older and, you know, obviously they start to, you know, date and, and meet guys and whatever the situation is that, um, that they develop a greater sense of, of, of self-worth and self-value and love and, and, and are hopefully have a better understanding of what a healthy relationship is supposed to look like and what they're entitled to have. Um, and then unfortunately use what happened involving their mother as a cautionary tale to really kind of like be hyper vigilant of any of the, um, the warning signs or anything like that. And I think that in, for anyone who may be in a situation where you have children, you know, like your children know a lot more than you think that they know, right? Like, I think that as much as we may attempt to shield our children from like, if there's an argument or whatever the situation is, like they're very much aware. They can see when, when two adults care about each other and love each other and they can see when that's not the case. And they hear the words that's being used. They see the body language. They also see the affection, right? They see the, the loving nature behind it. And so they pick up on all of this stuff and um, no matter what we do, they'll pick up on it. And so I think that you have to be very mindful of the message that's being sent and what's being picked up by you know, the children in the house and, and, and what is ultimately normalized and accepted and, and, um, and you wouldn't want your children to be, in, you know, as a parent, if your child was in a situation that you were in, would you be comfortable with that, right? Like, I don't know, if that, that, that could, that's probably one of numerous indicators of whether or not you should be in that situation is, would you accept that for your child? And if you wouldn't, because you feel like your child deserves better or deserves more, deserves to be happy, then why not you? Very well said. Very well said. Yeah. Yeah. I agree 100%. So um, thank you so much, Richard, for this conversation. It's, um, yeah, it's been really uh, amazing absolutely amazing so I really appreciate um, you taking the time to to use your voice and help other women to hopefully break away from toxic relationships and abusive relationships no it's been been awesome thank you um yeah you you are so incredibly articulate about everything Richard, so yeah, I'm hoping that this is going to really change things for the better for some people who tune in. Yeah, I hope so. I mean, I think at this point, it's, um, you know, it's, 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 I've taken on, you know, as an, as an advocate, like I've taken on this cause as something that I want to fight on behalf of my sister and, and, you know, educating people and telling her story and, um, you know, I created a, um, a fellowship uh, in my sister's name at my law school to try to provide a summer fellowship for a law school student that would be interested in, in doing work related towards, um, you know, gender-based violence. And, uh, and, and ultimately, I'm, I'm working towards writing a book, you know, to again, share her story and provide resources for individuals. And, you know, at the end of the day, it's, it's, you know, her, her life meant so much more than how it was taken away from her. And she's no longer in the position to do anything to kind of fight for that. And so that is going to be what I'm going to do until I'm no longer on this planet. Um, so this is, this is, this is a, you know, an opportunity that I'm thankful for. Um, and it may seem like it's easy to kind of talk about it. And I think that's because you know, I, I have, I have had to force myself to, to heal on the outside quicker than I am on the inside, because I also have two young sons and I have a business and I have a wife and I have to take care of my parents and I have to worry about my nieces. And so the, the, unfortunately, you know, it was one of, it's, it was a crazy situation because when, when she passed, um, you know, people knew about it. I got all the text messages and the condolences, which was very heartwarming. And then it was like two days later, you know, people were posting about their dogs or vacations. And I'm just kind of like, why are you still continuing to live? And I'm sitting in the corner of my house, like it's not fair. But unfortunately life doesn't stop, right? And so 
um, you just kind of have to find some type of strength to keep moving forward. And, 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 you know, she motivates me and doing this work motivates me and, and doing the other work motivates me. And, um, and like you said, if, if, if one person hears this and makes a decision, then that means that it was, it, it's, it was all for something at least. Right. Yeah. Oh, you, so. you know, you, you're saving lives, you know, the, you know, the statistics, you know, how much this happens, you know, you know, how many, women die, you know, all the time to violence. So, you know, like, this is so important. It's just so important because, you know, they're disempowered, but, you know, it's just understanding that you still do have some power, but, you know, it's just pushing past the fear. And we, we talk about, you know, like fear is there and it's either the fear of staying or the fear of going. And it's, it's just picking a fear, you know? Yeah. You're right. You're absolutely right. Yeah. Well, I, and I, and I want to, I also just want to make sure to acknowledge, I want to commend you for being a survivor and, and making, you know, I'm, I'm sorry you had to be in a situation where you had to make some of those very difficult decisions, but um, I'm thankful you know, that you made those, just those tough decisions. And I, and you know, I'm sure that it was the right one because you're still sitting here and your children are safe. And it sounds like you have, you know, um, amazing children, you're doing great work. You're trying to help and, and save lives as well. So, you know, you endured a lot and you came through it and you endured it for a reason and your reasoning is here, right. And, and the work that you're doing. So, um, I certainly commend you for being a, a survivor and you're certainly very lucky to be sitting here today. And so, um, so I'm thankful and appreciative of that as well. Thanks, Richard. I hope that you got a lot of value out of today's show. It's been a really heavy conversation to have. And I know that sometimes we'd rather bury our heads in the sand because the challenges that we face are so big and so confronting and so frightening. But I just want to remind you that sometimes angels wave red flags at us to help keep us safe. And this episode is one of those episodes where all those alarm bells and those alarming things are there to protect you and to keep you safe, which is the most important thing. So I'll just run through the top 10 tips and takeaways now. Number one, look out for telltale signs of abuse like damaging property or threatening to suicide if you break up with your partner. Although they may sometimes appear to be messages of undying love for you, they are indicators of emotional and psychological manipulation, coercion and abuse. Number two, there is never an excuse for your partner to hit you or hurt you. Number three, if you are being made to disconnect from important relationships with family, friends and work colleagues, this is a clear sign of isolation abuse. Number four, be wary of any veiled threats to your safety or the safety of your children or your pets or your belongings. And so, for example, that the abuser threatens to do away with you if you ever leave them. This is a huge red flag that you need lots of supports from experienced people and services to put safety plans in place and have an escape plan. Number five, if family offers you a refuge, don't dismiss this because you feel like you are letting your abusive partner win by driving you away from your home and your things. These things can be replaced and you can rebuild your life. This is a great time to seek extra support from professional services and authorities to help put legal boundaries around you to help you stay safe. Number six, it is better to leave than to stay when the cycle is escalating. You are irreplaceable. 
Number seven, you may be telling yourself that you can manage the situation because you are used to being in survival mode and think that you can continue on this way. But the cycle only gets worse. You can start to recover when you start seeking support to break the cycle. Number eight, try and see the warning signs for what they are. If you think that something that is happening to you might be a form of abuse, which might indicate you are in a cycle of abuse, find a domestic violence free online counselling service to talk about your situation and get some advice about what your next step might look like. Number nine, if drugs and alcohol are a part of the problem with the abusive person, the chances of breaking the cycle of abuse decrease and the risks of violence increase. Number 10, love is not supposed to hurt. All relationships have conflict, whether they are healthy or unhealthy, but you should grow and feel stronger on the other side of conflict, not feel more disempowered. And a bonus from today's episode, if you are a parent, ask yourself, if your child was in your situation, would this be something that you would be comfortable in seeing happen? Would you accept that for your child? If the answer is no, because you feel like your child deserves better or deserves to be happy, then why not you? I send you all my love and I wish you well. And most of all, I wish you to be safe. Until next week, much love. We all go through dark times. When we do, we often feel alone. This is a safe space for you to come and look for some light. I'm a survivor of an abusive relationship and for a long time I had no voice because I was too scared to speak up and speak out about what was happening to me. I couldn't see a light at the end of the tunnel but when I turned a corner in my life the light started filtering through and I left my old life behind. I am here now to help other women feel seen, heard and valued. I'm reaching out with my light shining on you to help you find your way out of the darkness. I hope you enjoyed today's episode. A note of encouragement. If you are struggling with your mental health, please reach out for support with some form of counselling. If you don't know where to start to find a counsellor, a good place to start is to talk with your doctor. There are also many online counselling supports available. And a word of advice, if the counsellor is not a good fit for you, try another. And if you need to, try another until you have one that is the right fit for you. Tune in again for the Tiara's Tears and Triumphs podcast, helping women who have been hurt to heal and grow, hosted by me, Sandy J. This program provides a safe place to work on inner peace and a strong mindset, spells out how to spot the red flags, advises on ways to stay safe and work on effective safety planning, gives tips on how to look after you when things are tough, teaches empowerment strategies, acknowledges life's challenges and explores ways to meet these challenges head on to go from surviving to rising to striving and finally to thriving. The show includes interviews with other survivors who have come out the other side, who share their stories and insights, as well as interviews with therapists and people working in support roles. 
I am a survivor and I use my experience and skills to help other women like me. Please listen and be uplifted to rise in this safe space where dignity, kindness and compassion are treasured. And don't forget, if you need some support, I am here for you. I don't want any woman to suffer alone in silence. I don't want any woman to feel oppressed and feel that there is no way out. I want you to know that you can turn a corner. I am a life change facilitator. I help women regain control over their lives. You can find me at sandyj.com.au. Hey now, can you just pause a moment before you go? Because I need you to share your light and leave a review. Can you just take a quick minute to leave a review in iTunes to let other women know this is a show they can trust? It would mean the world to me if you could help shine a light for someone who can't see the light at the end of their tunnel. I need you to do this for someone else who needs some support and encouragement. If you like this show, please subscribe and you will automatically be updated with future episodes when they are released. And please share this podcast with anyone you know who it might help. Thank you so much for tuning in today. Sending you lots of love and light and above all else, wishing you well. You are brilliant. Keep shining. Stay safe, Sandy.